Hello and welcome to Through the Telescope, the podcast that puts the lens on astronomy. I'm Rose Waugh and I'm an astrophysicist and science communicator. And I'm Elliot Bruce and I'm neither of those things, but I'll be trying to find out why we should even care about astronomy. We'll be exploring some of the big topics in the field in little manageable pieces and have some fun along the way. So, whether you know your red lines from your red shifts, or you're not quite sure what the difference between astronomy and astrology actually is, join us as we launch ourselves into the cosmos and try not to burn up on re-entry. Through the Telescope is sponsored by PicAstro, the astronomy and astrophotography image sharing app, dedicated to your images of the cosmos no matter what stage you are on your journey around the universe. No ads, spam or fake accounts. So, Ro. Today, we're talking about centaurs. Indeed. Uh, Apologies if you can hear some background noises. Um, We've got our dog here, um, and she might intermittently decide to make a ruckus. Um, (laughs) I'm not sure she has much to contribute to the podcast, but she probably thinks otherwise. Not so much. So... Centaurs are things that I am vaguely aware of existing basically as a name before this episode, but no idea what they actually are. So, what are they? You're not really alone there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there are lots of different definitions, so that's part of the reason probably that you don't know what they are. Okay. They're they're basically things that float about near the, you know, the outer planets of the solar system, kind of in those orbit ranges. So they're they're rocky and icy objects that are in a particular region of the solar system. Right, okay. That's pretty much what they are. Right. (laughs) Which isn't maybe a particularly helpful definition. Yeah, I guess we don't really have lumps of gas floating around in the outer solar system, except for, like, the planets. So things that are floating about are rocky or icy, as it were. So it's basically just debris, I guess, in a certain region. Is that fair? Yeah, it's 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 debris. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> they're they're pretty small, really, because you know most most of the material that would have been around there has been coagulated into the planets. Mm, yeah. Um. So they're pretty small. Um. They have kind of comet behaviour. Okay. But also asteroid behaviour. Right. Um, And some centaurs are comets. Okay. And some are asteroids. (laughs) 
Is that like it kind of depends on who you ask? Or, well, I guess it does if some people have different definitions of a centre in the first place. Yes. I kind of got the impression that more of the overlap comes from how one defines the word centaur. Right, okay. Um, I see. Because you can, as we've established lots of times already, you can, when you're classifying things, there are always things outside of the boxes that you have made. And if you try to reclassify under similar physics or whatever and have different boxes then you find different things outside of your boxes and you can never really quite get everything to yeah you either exclude different things from your box or you find out that you've added too many things to your box and it's no longer really a helpful box anymore exactly so jupiter becomes a centaur (laughs) yeah and then you're in trouble so the first one was discovered by um, Walter Bader, a German astronomer, in 1920. But he didn't know it was a centaur, because they didn't exist yet. Um, <laughs> yeah, that is how a lot of things in astronomy work. Yeah. So it's called 944 Hidalgo, or maybe Hidalgo, who uh, did not know this person. Obviously, what's the word? Ignorant. <laughs> Um, but he is actually a Catholic priest and revolutionary leader of Mexico and regarded as the oh. father of the Mexican nation. Wow. Um, I am ashamed to say I didn't know that either. Miguel Hidalgo y Costilla. Nice. So, yeah. He ends up being executed. Like, I think you kind of have to be if you're a father of a nation. Martyr. Yeah. Is there a reason? So I wasn't... They named after him? I wasn't entirely sure, but what I did see was, like, a couple of years later, a bunch of German astronomers had gone over to Mexico to view a total eclipse. And they met the Mexican president and asked... Can we name this thing after the founder of yeah. Mexico, as it were? And they were like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> I wasn't expecting this. Um, but okay, right. I, there didn't seem to be any further reason. Um, so, oh, well, okay, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Um, and that's orbits between the asteroid belt and Saturn's orbit. Um, but it wasn't until... 1979, when the American Charles Cowell Cowell, uh, discovered 2060 Chiron, um, which is named after a centaur in Greek mythology. And he thought it's half asteroid, half comet. So that's like a centaur. Yeah. Uh, and then lots of people afterwards have then named their things that have fallen into this category after centaurs in mythology. Yeah. I didn't know that there were that many centaurs in mythology. But... Well, neither did I, because there are a lot of centaurs, <laughs> but I suppose however many of them are just given a number plate, so... Yes. 
probably probably doesn't matter if you're only naming the particularly large or somehow inspiring ones. Mm. So yes, as we've established, although not very firmly, because it is not very firmly established, mm. um, the orbits of centaurs typically they have a a reasonable fraction that is between um, the orbits of Jupiter and Neptune, but the the definitions do vary. <laughs> yeah. Depending on who you ask, um, but. Normally, the closest approach to the sun or the perihelion. Yes. Um, okay. Yeah, that's a word. Or, okay. this is part of the different definitions, or the semi-major axis is between those of the outer planets. So Jupiter to Neptune. Right. Yes. Okay. But they don't necessarily, they, they don't have like circular orbits. Right, okay. Okay. So their their furthest approach from the sun or the aphelion is gonna be further out than that. Yeah, so when we when we think of you could easily think, Oh, well, let's just define it based on its orbit. That's easy. And then you're like, Well, do you want the closest approach to the sun? The furthest approach to the sun? The average. Exactly. What kind of average? Um, yeah. Yeah, okay. I see. Yeah. I see. Uh, um, and their orbits can... Some some of them have very stable orbits. Okay. Um, but they can have pretty unstable orbits as well. So you can also have definitions based on how stable is their orbit, in which case you then say, well, these ones aren't centaurs anymore because... They're very right. stable orbits, but they were centaurs to... Somebody else is like, yeah, but in like a hundred billion million years, it will have gone. And somebody else is like, no, it's only like a hundred million years. After that point, it's if it goes after that, it's pretty stable or whatever. That kind of thing. Yes. <laughs> and you can imagine how exciting these discussions at conferences would oh, be. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did, I, I thought, I know, the IAU. Oh, no. They're the people yeah. that decide everything. We, as as the podcast goes, we are try to follow the IAU definitions of things, generally speaking, right? Yeah, I mean, they, generally the they're typically thing, right? accepted and most lots of working astronomers and astrophysicists are members of the IAU. Mm. So it's it's not as if they're completely far removed from yeah from uh this you know the the working science or anything. Yeah. And they can be quite behind the times for some things, but which is generally because they've got like how many people that have like contradictory views on things all on the same committee. Yeah. Thrashing it out. It's committee work. And so. <laughs> that's also the case here, so they don't really... They've got a kind of fudge as mm. to centaurs, so they weren't very helpful. That does not surprise me in the slightest. And some of them are weird and are in retrograde. Most of them don't, but 
some of them do. So does that mean they then go round, if all the planets are going round clockwise or anti-clockwise, I guess, depending on whether you're above or below, mm-hmm. um, it's going in the opposite direction round the sun? Yes. Um, okay. Okay. Does that mean anything? There have been suggestions that it might indicate an interstellar origin. So is that that if it comes from within our solar system, generally speaking, the conservation of angular momentum means that everything goes around the same way, generally speaking? Yeah. So if it is going the opposite way, then it's quite possible that it doesn't come from our solar system. Yeah, it could have... It could have got captured by the sun, or, I don't know, I guess it could have had some interaction that has forced it um, to then somehow orbit in the, the other direction. I don't know how much energy you would have to give mm. an object for it to reverse its orbit. Yeah. Pretty extreme, you would think. Um, and also managed to do that whilst not completely flinging out the solar system. Yes. Uh, But I can't, you know, I can't personally comment on how likely that would be. I think they are still somewhat a mystery of the solar system. Love a mystery of the solar system. What do you think, Papa? I only like mysteries that have food. (laughs) (laughs) So it seems that the general sort of consensus in a lot of these things come from the Kuiper Belt and beyond from our solar system and have then sort of worked their way in. Um, Or they've come about from other things being smashed together. Yeah. But I guess that's sort of how they how they got to where they are but where are they going wow (laughs) unlike things like the planets which are in our solar system and very much not going anywhere Mm -hmm. their their orbit is very stable and um, they're going to stay where they are the, the rest of the solar system it's life Centaurs are still trying to find their place, really. Um, So some are kind of transitioning from being trans-Neptunian objects to becoming comets. Okay. Um, Which maybe isn't that much of a surprise given that we already talked about how they have some comet-like behaviour. Um, there have been suggestions that Ceres, the dwarf planet in the asteroid belt, could have... (laughs) Yes, you you are. (laughs) Could have once been a centaur. Okay. That was then, you know, thrown about the solar system and came to to rest in the asteroid belt. And that's kind of why it is... So much bigger than other things in the asteroid belt. Is that kind of the 
I guess that is the the suggestion from that camp. Hmm. Yeah. Um, but really, the discovery of of the centaurs as a a class of objects, however you choose to classify them. Um, whatever they are (laughs) whatever they are has combined with active asteroids which are asteroids that have tails okay so Comet's got like a tail of stuff being thrown off it and these are asteroids that have the same thing yes but they don't go beyond Jupiter they stay in the inner solar system Mm. It's kind of blurred the the distinction completely between yeah. what a comet is and what an asteroid is. I can which see that. previously felt very or at least relatively distinct. Yeah. Um and now less so, which uh, you know, is maybe not a surprise. We like to again, we like to box things. Yeah. But that's not necessarily how things are in reality they're just boxes that fit our needs or or whatever mm-hmm. and sometimes these distinctions don't really have such kind of physical meaning and i guess when you say physical meaning that's all that's not just necessarily how they behave but also maybe where they came from in the first place yes just yeah exactly just kind of everything everything about them yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, and equally, um, one of the moons of Saturn, Phoebe. Phoebe. Um. Who? Which? Who? <laughs> I, kind of, <laughs> I kind of think of them as like not people, but do you know what I mean? Like, but it all doesn't help when Phoebe is actually somebody's name. It's nowadays. it's aggravated by the kids' addiction to. Mm planets, dwarf planets, solar system bodies in general, and personifying them. Yeah. And it's seeping into me. <laughs> um, Phoebe, who was discovered by William Pickering, which we talked about in... Still a classification, was it? I think it could have been, yeah. Might be a captured centaur as well. Okay. Um... Which is pretty cool. And also kind of less weird because Saturn is within that kind of region, so it Yeah. It kinda yeah. makes well And also Saturn's got a whole load of moons. So Oh yeah. If moons any of them, for days. If any of the planets are gonna have a moon that is also maybe once a centaur roaming around. Found its new new home with Saturn. So I guess we think a lot of moons formed early on in the solar system kind of similar time to when the planets did. Is that kind of the idea? And this would be like later, more recent. I suppose it depends on how you think the moon formed. Right, okay. As to when you think it formed. Or whether it's like two things smashed together. The the two things might have come about at the same time ish as the planets, but then it's more recent, etc etc. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. So that's when. So yeah. So Phoebe was pretty lucky, really, because it got captured by Saturn. Saturn's forever home. And then, it's 
stayed there, assuming mm. that that's where it originally came from. Yes. Um, but in general, having a very close approach to uh, a large planet of you know Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune is not necessarily ideal. No. You might collide with it if you're lucky. <laughs> <laughs> if you're unlucky, you might be yeeted out of the solar system. Yeah. So... Because I guess we use, or have used, like, the larger planets to, like, the Voyager missions used, like, Jupiter to, like, slingshot round mm-hmm. towards Saturn. And that's, like, that's people looking at equations, thinking, how can we do that? And doing the math. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you just... You don't want to take a random stab at it because Voyager gets thrown. Yeah, exactly. Okay, that's a bit like um, that. Remember the what was it called? Umuamora. Yes. The the interstellar, potentially, probably visitor. Yeah. Yeah. I like to think that it was. Yeah, me too. But There's a lot of rocks in space, so why not? That's not a very astrophysics answer. There's also a lot of space in space, there. There is. I wonder what star it would have come from, do people say? Well, maybe we can do a future episode on that and see how, you know, how things have evolved since since then. I've not really been keeping up with the literature, but... Presumably there is more research that has been done on it since then. Mm. We'll have to find out, I guess. In the meantime, back to centaurs. Mm. So, yeah, they're in the the outer bits of the solar system and there are a lot of them, possibly a very lot of them. (laughs) (laughs) So we're talking like maybe 40,000 Okay. Or maybe 10 million. Right. Um, that's quite a big range. Yes. And that's just for the objects that are greater than one kilometre in diameter. Which, you know, is relatively small, but still, like... Yeah. There's going to be more than that. Yeah. yeah. Does this come down to, again, the surprise that I found? Because I kind of figured... We've got our own solar system like nailed down. We we get. We it. don't. Is it is it just like they're quite far out, really, and they're small, and a lot of them may be quite dark, I guess, and not very reflective. Yeah, and when you think about anyway, just how far away everything is. Mm. Right? I mean, the sun seems quite bright to us. Yeah, but. The amount of light reaching them. Mm. I mean, your luminosity is going like one over R squared. Yeah. So for every, like, time you double a distance, you quarter the luminosity. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, or, you know, you... You go ten times the distance. And it's one hundredth of the one percent of the Yeah. So at at one AU you have whatever luminosity. 
at 10 AU, you've got a hundredth of that. Yeah, you've got 1% of that. So even before you get to, like, what are they... What are they composed of? Do they not reflect very much? They're really small. You're already working with some pretty... You, they're already not getting very much light. Yeah. And I guess also if they're sort of weird, crazy orbits as well. Or they can be. Not yeah. all of them. But then it's like... You're not even like, let's just look sort of vaguely in the plane of everything. Because they can also be... Well, also it can just be hard to know where to look, I think. Hmm. They're so small. Mm. <laughs> and uh, them, when they're close, you know, when they're at their closest approach, at their perihelion, you might stand a decent chance. Yeah. But when they then kind of recede <laughs> mm. further out into the solar system for a long time period... Yeah. You are finding it then even more difficult to spot them, so... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, the biggest one is about 260 kilometres in diameter. Okay. Um, Which is, you know, like, respectable. Mm -hmm. It's even got a ring system. It's the smallest thing that we know of that's (laughs) that's got a ring system. That's impressive. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. So that must be, like, 120-odd miles or something like that. So it's... It's a geographic distance, as it were. Yeah. But it's not... You know, it's relatively short, small on the scale things and it's got rings like, it's not yeah. like it's pretty small you know when when you think about the fact it's got rings it's like oh that's that is small yeah. like it's very small things can have ring systems yeah. we have you know learned from from uh 10199 charic charic low i don't know if that's how it's pronounced apologies but... to any charic clothes listen <laughs> 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 But um, that's what we've learned from the, this object. Mm. Like, yeah. Okay. But at the same time, you know, that's, that's a, it's a respectable size for a solar system body, I would say. You know, I feel like when you're talking about things that are like one kilometre in size, you're like, okay. Yeah. That's like, that's, um... that's like a small... Human scale, one kilometre is, like, not tiny. But on an astronomical scale, that's, like... It's a piece of dust in the solar system, really. Whereas 260 kilometres, it's, like, then it's, like... Not... It's not teeny tiny. No, but... Yeah. Again, with the, like, what does size even mean? Everything is relative, so, like... Well, when I said on an astronomical scale, I was like, astronomically speaking, the sun is insignificant because the universe, yes. so... Okay, let's move on before we fall down that rabbit hole. Okay. So what are they made of, then? Rock. Ice. Okay. <laughs> That's about it. Uh, but ice in astronomy does not just mean 
solid water. Okay. Ice just basically means lots of things that are frozen. <laughs> okay. Lots of things that have turned into a solid that normally wouldn't be a solid. You know. So we're not just talking about like water ice? No. But it includes water ice. So there has been some spectroscopy that has been done. A little bit of spectroscopy. Yeah. Using light to tell what is inside an object, which chemicals are inside an object. Pretty cool. Um, They have found various different compounds, including water ice, but also methanol in its ice form, carbon monoxide in solid form, amorphous carbon. Uh, So just carbon that... It's just, just there hanging. Yeah. Uh, tholins, which are a range of organics that are formed from UV radiation. Okay. And olivine. Yeah, they can um, have quite, you know, complex um, compositions. And also it can change over time, depending on, Okay. you know... What they're doing. Are they near the sun? Are they not? Uh, whatever. Okay, so if they're rocky and or icy, does that mean they're sort of like grey, maybe sort of shiny, whitey, kind of coloured? Generic space rock. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. Um, you do get bluey, grey ones. Okay. Um. You also get reddy ones. Oh, okay. Varying shades of colours. Um, people don't seem to know why. <laughs> Again, I guess it's another way to potentially classify them, but then you find... Um, <laughs> Multiple things going on. Yeah. So... Um, for example, some of the blue ones are known to periodically release gas from being, you know, radiated by the sun from the solar radiation. Okay. Um, like a comet, kind of. Yeah, kind of like active, like a comet with like a, like a tail, you know. And this exposes, you know, more layers of ice that can then be melted by the sun. Right, whatever. so then it sort of looks like it's covered in nice, fresh icy kind of layers because it's not been exposed to space whereas if you left it for a longer time it might not be like that sort of pristine ice colour, whatever that is Maybe, maybe Uh, but then some of the active centaurs are red Right, okay, so So... scrap that, but don't scrap it because sometimes it works (laughs) Science Um... Okay the the different colours could maybe mean different origins or it could mean that different they've had different kind of life events in a certain order. Right. Or yeah. it could mean that they have been exposed to more radiation or less radiation or they could be different ages or at least ages as centaurs. Right, okay, yeah. Uh, so not necessarily when they were made, but when they started, like, having crazy orbits yeah. or... 
Okay. Yeah. Some of them seem to be red because of the organic compounds, which have been irradiated by the light, which has changed them in some way to produce the red colour. But, yeah. Right. Okay. There are different (laughs) colours. That is what can be said firmly. (laughs) We can categorically state they are different colours. Yes. Sometimes. Um, and there are probably different, like, multiple reasons, mm. I think, you know. Yeah. I guess also, like, I mean, it's partly, like, spectroscopy. Like, if you can look at it and say there's some olivine in there, I'm very impressed because I kind of feel like I wouldn't be able to tell you as a non-geologist if you gave me two bits of rock, I'd be like, oh, that's a rock and that's a rock. They're both kind of the same colour. But they've, like, come about in completely different ways, for instance. And they're also rocks that look, like, very different, but are actually the same type of rock, right? There's just, like, a slight different uh-huh. composition. And that's with the rock right in front of you here on Earth, <laughs> and you can, like, check, like... You can do yes. all sorts of experiments, whereas these are sort of, not necessarily on the edge of the solar system, but, like, really very far away from us as observers. I do think it's very impressive. Spectroscopy is an amazing tool and opens up a lot of science and progress, especially in astronomy. Although it's very useful in many, many areas of science. And I feel like it's, you know, a valuable tool to to many scientists. But I would say, on the other hand, to your having the rocks there right in front of you, you almost find yourself in the situation uh, of being a solar physicist rather than a stellar physicist, where you almost have too much too data. much data, and then you're trying to, you know, classify or identify or whatever, and you. There are things that throw you off mm-hmm. that you just wouldn't have to deal with if you didn't. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think there's a happy balance. Yeah. Probably somewhere between looking at a rock that's really far away in the solar system and having it on your desk. Probably somewhere in between those two where you have the optimum amount of data. Um, but, yeah, it it is amazing. Um I I find it really cool. We can learn quite a lot uh, about objects in the universe, not even just the solar system, hmm. by using spectroscopy. And it's very clever. Yeah, yeah. It's a really neat, um, you know, part of science that we've understood to be able to to implement that as a tool, you know? Yeah. When all you have to do, you get some light from the object that you're interested in and from what the spectrum of that light looks like, you can say, well, there's a peak here, there's a little bump that says that there is a lot of light at this particular wavelength. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's another peak that says there's a lot of light at this particular wavelength, and therefore I know that it has olivine or yeah. 
Mm. You know, lots of helium or something in it. And also what's extra crazy, the thing that I find amazingly crazy is the fact that it comes out, you get the data, and it just looks sort of like random dots to some extent because it's so noisy, the data. And then clever statistics people come along and go, it's, it's clearly a nice sharp thing if you just remove the noise through scary statistical methods that I don't understand. You know? Yes, because I had to. <laughs> I once took a module where I tried to learn how to do this from more first principles. Um, for, for a lot of people, you don't have to do it from first principles when you're actually researching, because normally, you know, there'll be like a bit of code that. Within Someone's the group <laughs> or, you know, in the language that you use or whatever mm. that will remove the noise in the way that you want it to. Yeah. Because there's no point writing a bit of code to do that again and again and again and again because yeah. what you're interested in is the science, right? So you do that job and then you get the thing out that you can identify the mm -hmm. bits of and then you do your science. Whereas when you're learning about something, you often have to do things from first principles yeah. to... to Prove to yourself and the person teaching that you understand. I don't know. Yeah. Sometimes just because they're sadists, I think. But yeah, definitely. Um, and yeah, it was pretty painful. I, I like I I got it to work, but I didn't understand. <laughs> I didn't feel like I got to the end of it and went well. And now I have a solid understanding <laughs> of how to remove the noise from this data. And all types of data, you know, because how you remove the noise depends on the data that you have as well. So <laughs> Yeah. Um, I was going to say, your lecture yeah. report would be like, ah, oh, well, yeah, it depends on the data because then you'd use one of 6,000 different types of um, statistical methods um, which all have their own variations. So Yeah. Depends on the data. But, you know, oh, I learned a very important lesson. Okay. Which was, if I ever need to do that, I know someone who knows how to do it. Well, that is very important. <laughs> and I can go and ask said lecturer, how would I go about doing this in this scenario? Hmm. And know that I will get a very well thought through answer to that mm. but yes you got to be able to remove the noise first that is the tricky bit probably not everyone would agree with me but that was how I felt so you were want to talk about Far Far Out which sounds like a movie yeah I just like its name fair very to cool. be honest, that was kind of why I wanted to talk about it. It's got a cool name. Which is cooler than it's, you know... It's, it's more of a colloquial name, I suppose. Like a, right. like a nickname, but like like a well-known nickname. Mm -hmm. uh, which is far cooler than its other classification of 2018 AG37. It trips off the tongue. Yeah. 
which is a centaur and okay. a distant trans-Neptunian object. Um, do you know how far away it was when it, it, it was discovered from the sun? Um, 50 AU. Higher. 60 AU. Higher. Um, 100 times the distance of the Earth from the sun. Higher. <laughs> 1,000 AU. Okay, not 1,000 AU. Okay. <laughs> so not that far out. Pretty close. <laughs> How far? Uh, 132 AU. Okay. Which is the equivalent of almost 20 billion kilometres from the sun. Right. Right, okay. Yeah. And it's a centaur because... Its closest approach is thought to be within Neptune's orbit. So it's within the outer planets. So Neptune's orbit so... is like just shy of, or, or about 30 AU, right? Somewhere like that. Yes. So it's maybe four times as far out as Neptune. When it, yes, when it, when was, it was discovered, which is, let's be honest, it's not going to be any different is, now. Where it still is, But, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Okay. It was first imaged on the 15th of January, 2018. Nice. Um, by... A new year. <laughs> a bunch of astronomers. <laughs> um, they were doing a sky survey... Uh, an observatory in Hawaii and they were they were looking to find distant solar system objects uh, and the hypothetical planet 9 which we're going to come back to in a later episode um, but even though it was dis- it was you know imaged in 2018 mm. uh, it wasn't noticed in the data until a whole year later. Right. January 2019. I love, I love that, when you just, you've got Science. data on around too much. I know, how yeah. lucky is that, when you've got data coming out of your ears? I reckon spending January in Hawaii observing is probably not too bad. No, I don't think it is too bad. Shout out to any Hawaiians <laughs> listening. Tell us, is January the worst month of the year <laughs> to live in Hawaii? <laughs> Probably not. I imagine the worst month of the year to live in Hawaii is when all the tourists turn up. Uh, which might be January to get away from the, the cold. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe just go to California. Don't know. Um, but yes, he, he, the the team were re- reviewing the, the data a year later when they noticed... Two thousand and eighteen, AD thirty seven. He's not currently named that. Uh, the the main astronomer doing the work at the time um, estimated that the distance to the object was about one hundred and forty AU, which I think is pretty good going. Yeah, like that's that's remarkably close. But anyway, they found that, and then they were like, oh. Well, that's actually further out than 2018 VG18. Oh, well, uh, you can just see that. Yeah. 
uh, which was uh, another object that his team had discovered. Okay. Okay. Uh, a month earlier. I guess his team are quite good at and then finding these named objects. It, yes. I mean, that's what they do. Right? <laughs> named it Far Out. Right, okay. So then he was like, well, this one's Far, Further. Far Out. <laughs> So that was uh, that was that. Um, I reckon I would have gone with further out. Yeah, I think I would have as well. Although I kind of do enjoy that because I'm like, what happens when you find yeah, the next far, one? Far, far out, yeah. Or is it far, <laughs> far three? Yeah. 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 Because uh, it's going to happen, right? It's inevitably going to happen. It is. At which point? But yeah. Uh, it's not far, far out. Mm. Has not really been uh, particularly well observed, really. As of 2021, which was the most recent I found, but it doesn't mean that there isn't more. Mm. It's only been observed nine times. Okay. Um so, and being, you know, far away from the sun, it moves pretty slowly. So, <laughs> in the two years that we've known about its existence, it's not really gone all that far. So, it's kind of difficult to determine what the orbit is going to be like. Right, because it could have gone, like, 200 million miles. I've got no idea, but, you know, but, like... Its orbit is massive. Yeah. So it's like a fraction of a fraction. It's of a tiny bit of its orbit. A slither. If you had a, if you drew a circle on a bit of paper, you wouldn't even be able to like. You wouldn't even know it was a circle. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be a dot on a page, and you're like, yeah. What's the circle? <laughs> yeah. But, um, you could draw any circle, and. Yeah. Yeah. And you got to kind of try and work out. Well, it was slightly, it was like a fraction of an atom on the sheet of paper, like, that way two years ago. So, let's project an entire circle. Tough. Yeah. Okay, so we don't really know no. for sure. For, oh, there are high levels of... Of uncertainty, yeah. And that also translates to you know, closest and furthest approaches as well. Mm. Um, not just to the shape of the orbit, but also what's the furthest, what is the furthest it actually gets and what is the closest it actually gets. Mm. Um, but probably the the period, you know, is one year for it around the sun is about 700 years. Right, okay. So is that... Which is Does, pretty long time. Is this then the is the furthest out? It's far, far out. So is that further out than anything else that we've ever known about, or is it like currently? Do you know what I mean? Like, did anything used to be further out and it's come back in? No, I think. 
I don't know where they all are currently. <laughs> Why don't you know? <laughs> my brain trying to wrap my head around the question and then formulate an answer to that. That's I fair. do not know where every single object then in why the did you go to university? Is. However, far, far out is the furthest out observed body. Right. So, there are over a hundred trans-Neptunian objects that have an aphelion or furthest approach from the sun. So trans-Neptunian is just, it goes beyond, beyond the orbit Neptune. of Neptune. And this goes beyond the orbit of Neptune as well as also inside the orbit of Neptune, we think. Yes. So it's a centaur yes. and trans-Neptunian object. Yes. Um, Unless you have a different definition of centaur, but whatever. Yes. Uh there are over a hundred other trans-Neptunian objects that go further from the sun than far, far out. Right. Goes. Um, and also, many of the comets are currently much further away from the sun as well. Okay. So, some of which would be Comet Donati, which is over 145 AU. Caesar's Comet, which is thought to be more than 800 AU from the sun. Okay. But none of these objects have are currently observable. So we can wait for Caesar's Comet to come back to us mm. and we'll see it again. Or Donati's Comet or any other of those comets that have really large orbits. But we can't currently see them. Right. So there are some things that we can see right now that we know would go further out than far, far out would, but they're not there at the moment. And there are some that do go further out and are further out. And we can't see them. We can't see them, but we know that they'll be back again at some point. Yeah, we have object permanence, we're aware. (laughs) (laughs) Just because we can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Right, okay. Okay. Um, but so, we can't see it. So it's the furthest visible thing, or the first thing that we can detect currently. Yes. But it is not the furthest known object. No. As it were. Okay. And that's those comets, which then come in closer to the sun. Yeah, and then we which can is see why them they're again. comets. Yeah. So do we really? Know? We don't know very much about far, far out. Right. Um, Apart from it's far, far out. Yeah. But we don't really... We don't know for sure how far. No. And... Yeah, okay. Or how it's going to get... I was going to say here, but it's not coming to (laughs) Earth, but you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Okay. (laughs) We know it exists. Um, We have observed it. We've got photographs of it. Okay. Okay. we know it's maybe about 500 kilometres wide. Okay. So, you know, then that's pretty big. Yeah. Um, which helps it to be more visible to us as well. Because it's got a bigger surface area, so it's got more of an area to bounce light back to us. Yeah. From the sun. And to help... Well, to help us, I guess, it's 
pretty bright. Okay. Its surface is probably very icy, so mm. reflecting a lot of light to us. So it's you know it's very bright, which helps us see it. Um, so it's big and probably very icy. Other centaurs or objects might not then be as easy to see. You know, it might be that we can't observe them once they get beyond 100 AU or something. Mm. Whereas we can observe this yeah. at 130 AU. And if it's less icy, then it makes it difficult because it's not bouncing as much light off. Yeah. Kind of thing. Okay. okay. And when you say it's bright, I guess that means it's bright for things that are out there, I suppose, yeah. when you're talking about the fall. It's not, like, it's not like the sun. We're not looking up into the night sky and seeing a really bright star. Yeah. It's actually far, far out. It's... Yeah, yeah. it's uh, just bright for what it is. Everything's relative. Okay. okay. But far, far out isn't a centaur in name. It's not like there was a centaur called far, far out. So what's he doing there? Why was it not named after? Yes. No, <laughs> not following the appropriate IAU naming schedule. <laughs> um, it we don't really know its orbit accurately. We don't really know much about it properly. Okay. So we can't. It can't be officially named until it is. Better known, really. Right. Okay. Um, Is that because we don't necessarily know how to classify it? So, uh, not necessarily in this case, but like in general, do people like to be like we know exactly what like it is? So, have... what naming convention we should go down? Yes, and then it will not do that at all. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I think people feel more comfortable when there's more data and stuff, and also it just takes time for things to happen in reality. Mm. Um, committees and everything it doesn't things can go a long time before having more official names yes yeah. um, you know far longer than you would think would be the case i guess given how far far out it is and you know tracing that circle it's going to be like hundreds of years or something before we <laughs> we're able to name it yeah i'm not quite sure what they're looking for waiting for <laughs> uh Presumably the data that they're waiting on can't just be, what does the orbit look like? Mm. We can only name it after that because they're going to be waiting a long time. Mm. Um, but it might be that, you know, with some more data on it, they might feel more just comfortable in general yeah. classifying it one way or another and therefore giving it a name or not. And also they probably will rely on more theoretical-based work. Mm. Uh, but even that requires some sort of input data, so... Yeah. Yeah. So if you had to name a new object after a centaur in any sort of fiction or mythology, what would you pick? <laughs> well, let me think about that and get back to you. <laughs> I can't think of any centaurs in anything no, ever. I don't know. I don't maybe like they I'll, crop up that often, do Maybe they? I'll bring one to the table next week. I don't think I can name any off the top of my head. No. Such a weird sort of naming uh, Well, if um, any of the listeners have any ideas of centaurs to name things after, uh, 
We can check it if they'd not be taken. Um, <laughs> let us know. Um, and See you next week. So that just about wraps things up for this episode. Please, can we encourage you to subscribe to Through the Telescope wherever you find your podcasts, and, if you like, you can leave us a nice positive review as well. It really helps the show, and it makes it easier for more people to find us. Feel free to send us any comments, questions, or suggestions of things or people you'd like to hear about or from in future episodes. Or perhaps to put yourself forward to chat about your own astro research or experiences. As always, you can find us on Instagram at Through the Telescope Podcast, or you can find me at astrophysicist underscore rose. You can also find us on Twitter at The Telescope Pod, and you can contact us by email at Through the Telescope Podcast at gmail.com. And with that, we'd like to thank you very much for listening, and we look forward to seeing you again next time. Bye. Bye.